Without further ado, I'm going to go into part three of our series. Um, this is part three of four of our series that is entitled Words. We've been talking about how powerful words are for building people up, but also for tearing and destroying people. Last week, we talked about gossip and what it does in our life. How many of you guys had opportunities to gossip this last week and you thought about maybe something that was said? I, I did too. I was like, oh, is this beneficial? Maybe I shouldn't say this. And I, I think it's so important to really think about the words that come out of our mouth because we do believe words create worlds. They create cultures and philosophies and, and, and build in us to justify things that we do or, or to bring justice or accountability to people. Today I want to talk about um, a, a tougher subject, and so we're going to be a little heady. I'm going to cover a lot of information, and so try to stick with me as much as possible. But I want to talk about the word tolerance, and the message today is offensive words. How many of you guys have been offended before by words that someone spoke? Everybody should raise their hand in here because we've all had that. And especially in our world today where almost everything can offend somebody. And we have so many words because we have so much connection um, via the, the, the internet and via social media and different things. We have so much connection that we can pounce on people, we can label people, we can dismiss people based on the words that they say and even to the detriment of not giving them the benefit of the doubt or the opportunity to disagree with us. I want to talk about this idea of tolerance and truth. In, in our culture today, because we can build or destroy people based on our words, it's very important that we understand the words that are coming out of our mouth, but also understand the words that are coming into our mind and our heart. As you might know, your mind will justify ultimately what your heart wants. And so you can almost believe and make anything a truth or reality today. We live in such a me culture. I mean, you could just wake up in the morning and get your daily me, right? I mean, most of us have specific things that we might watch or that are, that are attributed straight to us. We can build our life in an echo chamber of people that believe and think just like us, and that's all we listen to. So it just becomes an echo of what we currently believe. In fact, if you want to believe or do something, you can find somebody that will justify it for you and help you say it is okay to do that very thing, no matter what it is in our culture today. And the ability to be able to build my life completely around me is, is no, I mean, it's the greatest time for that nowadays. I mean, look at Netflix alone, which I, I love Netflix, and there's great things, but when they recommend certain things based on my watch history, and they're right, I get nervous. Like, man, you're right, I did like that. Or Amazon, like, they know what I want to buy. You should get this product. You really need this. Like, there's this shotgun thing that shoots salt that kills flies. Man, I'm like, I need that. I need that thing. That's so cool. Like, and I get these recommendations just like you do. What's really scary is when you're on Google, right, and you search for something, and then you go to Facebook or social, and that very thing is advertised to you. This is where Earl gets really big into conspiracy theories, and he's ready for the Illuminati to come and get him. Uh, like, <laughs> I joke with Earl. But it is, it's this freaky thing, but 
everything is built because I can, like a buffet line for myself, say, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and uh, and I'll take a little bit of this and I'll build my whole life around me and I'll just listen to people that tell me I'm good and I'm okay and because everybody has to tolerate everything but it builds a really me-central life that is scary. And, it's, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily produce a lot of growth. And in fact, it can produce an age of rage and of offense constantly. Everything can be offensive. Everything can build an offense within me that if you say something that I don't agree with, I can label you as intolerant so that I don't have to actually dialogue with you, but I can completely dismiss you as stepping on my toes. And not all tolerance is bad as I'm going to talk about, but I want to show you an instance in the scripture. We're going to open the book to Acts chapter 19. The scripture in Acts 19, Paul happens to be in Ephesus. And he spent a couple years in Ephesus building a church and preaching And we're going to see the effects of his preaching and what happened with the ideas and the words that are coming out of his mouth and how the culture received them, specifically back then, I mean, 2,000 years ago. And I want to show you that there's not much new under the sun. Acts 19, 23 through 34 says this. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, pause. Back then, Christianity wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way because preaching Jesus as the way to God, as God himself who came to take on our sin and resurrected for us to have a new life in us. We, it was a proclamation of the way, not a way, but we believe this is the way. And that's how they were known, not as Christians, but as, as people of the way. For a man, verse 24, named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city filled with the confusion and they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, 
who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted, prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, in Ephesus, Artemis was a god that was worshipped. She had her own temple. Once a year, hundreds of thousands of people would come into Ephesus and they would do this baptism ceremony where they would literally get the statue of Artemis, walk it through the city, dunk it in the sea as a form of baptism, go take it back to the temple, and, and in, in some rhetoric call it being baptized in the spirit because they believe in spirits, but their baptism in the spirit then came with a lot of for, fornication on the temple. Men with men, girls with girls, men and girls all together, all sorts of animals, just this massive, honestly, um, orgy in front of the temple. Now, I know Sunday morning you weren't expecting to hear that, but this is history. This is what is happening. There's not much new under the sun. If you think, man, we've just gone to hell in a handbasket, there's a lot going on back then too. And Paul is speaking about the way and speaking into the culture to the effect where this man Demetrius is going, listen, I make these little statues of Artemis and you're cutting into my business. And not only am I creating these little idols that are making me profit, but you are not only stepping on my little idol I'm creating, but you're stepping on my big idol that my life is built on. The thing that I worship in money, in my business in my livelihood. And on one respect, we can have compassion and understand that. But on another respect, what happens, though, is he goes in and says, talks to his other businessmen and says, this can't be. And they start gathering people into the temple, and they're crying out. And you notice in there, they said many people had no idea why they were even there. So words created this world and this culture. And words was breaking down a culture when Paul is saying, there's only one God, and you don't worship a statue that is created by men. And these cultures are colliding. But instead of coming together in dialogue and talking about this and allowing for dialogue, they gathered, and many people didn't even know why they were gathered. They just all gathered. Just like if you've ever seen a crowd, I, I dare you to do this in the lobby after service, just stand and start looking up. And after a while, people will start looking what is he looking at? Everybody's just looking. And now you've got tens and hundreds of people just looking. They don't even know why we're gathering. We just know there's commotion and I want to be there. It's like why when somebody gets in a wreck on the highway, just keep driving. You don't have to look at it and slow down. Lord Jesus, I'm trying to get somewhere. Pray for him. Keep going, right? But, but we gather into these confusions and these great um, um, demonstrative actions and protests. And I'm not saying protests are bad. I'm not anti-protest, but I am saying a lot of times, and this is, you see this in the culture 2,000 years ago, even in Ephesus, people don't even really know why they're there. They're just riled up and let's go. And they send out Alexander like, hey, talk to them, explain to them what's going on so that we can have a real dialogue and talk. And they would not hear it. They just screamed for two hours. Great is Artemis of 
Ephesus. Wouldn't even allow anybody to talk. Now, this is pretty prominent in our culture as well today. To not allow people to discuss and have understanding and even debate. I don't know if you've seen on even college campuses today, a lot of campuses are not allowing certain people to come in and talk because the things that they're saying become microaggressions that feel like actual violence because you're saying something that I don't believe or comes against my beliefs or sounds like it's really, really mean. And without just knocking that culture that's saying that, I understand in one sense we've got to say things in love and with compassion, but at the same time to stifle ideas and thoughts is the very opposite of what the point of university is. And it's a scary thing that we're seeing within our culture that words have created this system of tolerance that is not livable and that is inconsistent in life. It's really interesting. Let me show you. There was, a, there was an article in The Atlantic titled Coddling, The Coddling of the American Mind. I have it on the screen so you could follow with me. But I'm going to read a few paragraphs from this article so you can see a little bit about what's going on. Two terms have risen quickly from obscurity into common campus parlance. Microaggressions are small actions or word choices that seem on their face to have no malicious intent, but that are thought of as a kind of violence nonetheless. For example, by some campus guidelines, it is a microaggression to ask an Asian American or Latino American, where were you born? Because this implies that he or she is not a real American. Trigger warnings then are alerts that professors are expected to issue if something in a course might cause a strong emotional response. For example, some students have called for warnings that Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart describes racial violence and that F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby portrays misogyny and physical abuse. So that students who have been previously victimized by racism or domestic violence can choose to avoid these works, which they believe might trigger a reoccurrence of past trauma. Some recent campus actions border on the surreal. In April, at Brandeis University, the Asian American Student Association sought to raise awareness of these microaggressions such as, aren't you supposed to be good at math for an Asian, against Asians through an installation of the steps of an academic hall? Sorry, the installation gave examples of microaggressions such as, aren't you supposed to be good at math? And I'm colorblind, I don't see race. So they're trying to bring awareness and saying, let's not do this and bring awareness of microaggressions. He said, but a backlash arose among other Asian American students who felt that the display itself was a microaggression. The association removed the installation, and its president wrote an email to the entire student body apologizing to anyone who has triggered or hurt by the content of the microaggressions. According to the most basic tenets of psychology, helping people with anxiety disorders avoid the things they fear is actually misguided. This new climate is slowly being institutionalized and is affecting what could be said in the classroom. 
even as a basis for discussion. During the 2014 and 15 school year, for instance, the deans and department chairs at the 10 University of California system schools were presented by the administrators at faculty leader training sessions with examples of microaggressions. The list of offensive statements included, America is the land of opportunity, and I believe the most qualified person should get the job. It's such a confusing world with our words today, isn't it? And, and I think there's, there's good things about this, as I'm, I'm trying to think, that not just to demonize everybody that has been traumatized and deals with microaggressions. I want to be careful we don't do that, because the idea is we need to be compassionate towards people's experiences. And I think that's a good thing. But then how we go about doing that the point of this article, and he goes on saying, coddling them actually doesn't help them in the end. And it's a really scary thing. So it makes you like, what do I do with my words? How do I say things? I don't know. I'm afraid I'm going to offend you. I'm going to step on your toes. I mean, I feel like this every Sunday that somebody's going to get mad. When I hear about a pastor that said in a, in a uh, 90-minute sermon, he said 90 seconds on a hot topic in culture. And then the next thing he knows, he has picketing and rioting at his church. It's a really sad thing today. It's hard to speak truth in a tolerant world that is extremely intolerant. It's crazy right now how our words are affecting. Now, here's my trigger warning. I'm going to show you a video. It's, a, it's comedy. But you might get triggered by it because it's going to hit some different aspects. But if you haven't seen this, it's John Christ. It's worth seeing, which I'm, you're forced to now. And it's... Title is Trying to Play Guess Who, the game, board game, in 2018. Check this out. All right. I, I gave you a warning. Um, hit a lot of different things, but how scary true is that? And that would, that's what comedy does. Comedy is tragedy plus time. Um, but seeing our culture today, it's so how do you, I don't know what to do. And being in a diverse church, uh, you know, I honestly have thoughts. Are people going to listen to me because I'm white, because I'm male? Are other cultures going to listen to me? Because in our day today, you are not considered speaking truth unless you have had all my experiences. And the problem with that is no one has had all of your experiences. To say, don't talk to me unless you walked a mile in my shoes. The problem is you are your own person, an individual. No one ever will fully understand you. And so at the end of the day, you actually cut people off from delivering a sense of truth or help to you in the name of a wrong view, I would say, of tolerance. Let me talk about this word tolerance because we're not just going to hit it and say all tolerance is evil because there are actually good forms of tolerance depending on how you define it and how you're looking at it. Words can change meaning with culture and they become powerful. Let me show you three different kinds of tolerances and this might even help you as you're talking to people about being tolerant. Number one, there's a legal tolerance. Legal tolerance is absolutely and fundamentally a good thing and needed in our culture because it's a way to prevent the government or maybe even the most popular group from placing legal obligations against basic rights like freedom of speech, religion, etc. This is something a Christian, we're in a church, would say this is absolutely paramount and needed as a Christian. I'm not going to force you to obey God or do everything that 
that I think the Bible tells you should do. I can't force you to do that legally, and I shouldn't do that because I should have a sense of tolerance for you and a legal tolerance that is healthy. I'll give you an example of a legal intolerance would be, for instance, I found an article in uh, Mosul, Iraq. Let me show you the picture here. This picture is, puts on the picture in this city, a house in Mosul, Iraq, has the words property of ISIS painted on the walls. What the article says is, this was in 2015, on Friday, the Al-Qaeda splinter group issued an ultimatum to Iraqi Christians living in Mosul. By Saturday, they must convert to Islam, pay a fine, or face death by the sword. A total of 52 Christian families left the city early Saturday morning with an armed group prohibiting some of them from taking anything but the clothes on their backs. They told us, you have to leave all your money, gold, jewelry, and go out with only the clothes on you. And this is happening all over our world. That would be a horrible form of intolerance. That even a Christian would say, this is not correct. We should not allow this. Okay? Um, a, a second type of, of tolerance that is, that is good and that Christians would say, absolutely, we need and that is built, honestly, in the foundations of our government for the most part, a social tolerance. This is needed in culture in order to have a diverse group of cultures living together with respect, as respecting and giving you human dignity for being in the very image of God. This is for a Christian, and I'll talk from that perspective, obviously, that I don't care where you're from or the culture or your background, you are an image bearer to God made in his, in his image. You deserve respect and dignity just for that. And that is a Christian value and a sense of tolerance that is absolutely correct and good. Now, let me tell you a bad form of, in, uh, of tolerance, which is actually the most absurd kind of tolerance that is most propagated today, and it's intellectual tolerance. Intellectual tolerance says this, Believing that everyone and everything is right no matter what they believe. And not only they're right, but they must be affirmed. This is an extremely dangerous and impossible to consistently and truly live out. This is at the heart of relativism. There's no absolute truth. Everything's relative. We can't, if, if you say there's a truth, you are being dogmatic. So I dogmatically declare if you're dogmatic, you're wrong. You're stating an absolute while going against all absolutes. And so, so, so good tolerance and social tolerance and legal tolerance is absolutely, I think, fundamental to loving people, to respecting them, to honoring people, not forcing beliefs on people, not forcing people to do certain things. That is absolutely needed in a good form of tolerance. But an, I would say an evil form of tolerance is intellectual tolerance. Let me give you an example. If I'm driving my car today and I'm going down 288 and my car starts to sputter and I go to the side of the road and, and I'm stopped and somebody pulls up behind me 
It says, Here, here's the deal. I, I noticed your car, and I'm like, thanks for coming. That's so awesome. Thank you for taking the time. This is so great. And they say, here's what you need to do. I've got this bag of sand in my car. I'm going to fill your, your fuel um, with, with, with the sand, and I'm going to put this into your car, and it, it will make it all better. Now, our culture today, if you're truly living out intellectual tolerance, I cannot tell that person, you crazy. I can't tell that person, you're wrong. I have to not only say, okay, that's good, but then affirm them for what they believe. Because it is intolerant to not affirm all beliefs. And yet, how absurd would that be for me to destroy my car because someone believes that sand into the fuel, if for fuel, is going to help my car? And yet, how many beliefs do we have around the world that if we truly were to affirm every belief, we would be going crazy? Welcome to 2018. But the problem is, you can't really live that kind of truth out. It is impossible to affirm every belief through intellectual tolerance. And in fact, I would say it's not wise, if not stupid. And that's a harsh word, but absolutely true. It, in its surface, it sounds super open and great. Just, I'm not going to step on anybody's toes. Whatever you want to believe is whatever you believe. But to truly live that out, and say all beliefs are equally valid is absolutely absurd because you're going to say, I do not tolerate something. Pedophilia, that's okay? Really? Like we're going to go there? Nazism, racism, like we tolerate everything, but not these things. Now you are intolerant and you cannot proclaim intellectual tolerance. This is where our culture is today, and it's a scary thing, and it affects you and your kids. I mean, I have to talk to my kids today about um, the, the, the sexual gender uh, perspective, uh, spectrum, and all the different things going on, and how do you talk to students, and how do you love somebody that believes all of these things, so how do you gracefully talk to them, but also have a stance of your own, because you should be as tolerant to my belief, and yet maybe you're not. Or you're like the Ephesians that say, I'm not going to listen. We're just going to scream. But see, true tolerance opens dialogue. Let's talk. Now, let's be graceful and loving. But I can be both dogmatic and loving at the same time. See, the old definition of tolerance went like this, and it's up here on the screen. I may dislike what you're saying. And this is good, healthy tolerance. But I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's good tolerance. I'm not going to stifle you and stop you from saying something because I don't like it. Because what we do with a new definition of tolerance is this. It is wrong to say the other person is wrong. That is the only thing that is wrong. If you say someone is wrong, you are intrinsically an intolerant person. So then, saying then that Jesus Christ is the only true way, according to John 14, 6, the only true way to God, becomes an exclusive claim that is viewed as intolerant. And so, the rhetoric is this. 
If you make a dogmatic statement, you are intolerant. And yet that statement is dogmatically intolerant. I do not believe there are absolute truths. That is an absolute truth. It breaks down at the heart of it. And that's what intellectual tolerance does. And that's what we need to be armed with and understand with love and grace and truth to say, I will respect your opinions, but you also have to respect mine. Because what is so easy to do is, so if I immediately dismiss you as intolerant or racist or label you in some faction that is considered absolutely abhorrent and the worst moral thing you can do without even giving you a chance to talk or dialogue, I've just labeled you. I have done the most extreme judgment and I've dismissed you. I haven't even given you the chance to talk because I just say you're not worth talking to. Because this is who you are. There's no greater judgment than that. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. In the book of Acts chapter 17, before Paul goes to Ephesus, he's standing on this hill called Mars Hill in Athens. And he gets an opportunity to tell them about the way. And they have a dialogue. And it says, some people mocked them, but some believed because at least there was open dialogue. But today in our culture, and not everywhere, But it's becoming more popular to dismiss people that don't think and believe like you in the name of tolerance. And it's really a scary place to be. So let me give you some examples. Suppose someone says, she is a very tolerant person. What do you mean by tolerant? The old definition or the new definition? Does does this mean she gladly puts up? With opinions with which she disagrees, that's the old tolerance. That's good. Yeah, I'll I'll put up with your, yeah, we'll talk. I can agree to disagree. I'm not going to label you and then just dismiss you. Or the new tolerance, when you say she's a very tolerant person, are you saying she thinks all opinions are equally valid? Both of those operate in our culture, but what is meant, because they are very different, I say all truths are valid, that means nothing is true. Do you understand that? If I say all, you know how offensive it is to say all religions lead to the same thing, they're all the same? That is the craziest, most arrogant statement you can actually say. And it sounds really tolerant, but it's nuts to say Buddhism and Christianity are really just the same thing. Buddhists don't even believe in a supreme God, like way different. Right? To say Hinduism and Christianity, they're just religion, they're all lumped, they're the same thing, is extremely arrogant as if you have this greater knowledge than anybody else because Hindus have 33 million gods and Christians have one. It, it, it's crazy to do that and it actually stifles dialogue and it becomes an absolute defeatist statement where I just automatically defeated you because you're an intolerant person. Suppose a Muslim cleric says, we do not tolerate other religions. Well, what does he mean? Does, does he mean Muslims do not think other religions should be permitted to even exist? That's crazy. That's not great. Or that Muslims could not agree that other religions are equally as valid as Islam. What do you mean by tolerant? Suppose a Christian pastor declares Christians gladly tolerate other religions. It's a good statement. But What do you mean? Does he mean that Christians gladly insist that other religions have as much right to exist as Christianity? Yeah, that's a good one. Or does he mean 
that Christians gladly assert that all religions are equally valid. What, what do you mean? In our culture today, the new tolerance is to say, you Christians are so intolerant. And we say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christians wish all other religions to be destroyed completely? Or that Christians insist that Jesus is the only way to God? Because if I'm intolerant as a Christian because I believe Jesus is the only way to God, all I'm doing is merely echoing what he said. That's what makes me a Christian. And in fact, it's offensive to say I'm intolerant and I shouldn't believe that about my religion. That's offensive to a Christian. Why? Because we believe that God became man and died. You're telling me that was for nothing. You're telling me I don't have a right to believe that. Now, if I impose my belief and force it on you and insult you and call you names, that's, that's a form of intolerance that is not right. But to simply say, I believe in a God who makes an exclusive claim to truth. And I'm willing to die for that truth, but I'm also willing to die for you to be able to speak your truth. But here's my goal, is to get to the truth, not just make you feel better and get to your opinions. Because I don't know about you, but I want truth. I want to grow. I want to raise kids that are seeking truth and doing what Jesus said, love me with all your mind. Don't check that at the door. Love me with all your mind. Think, think it through. But it's so easy to stifle relationship and dialogue in the name of labels. But do you see how quickly the new tolerance breaks down as completely intolerant of anybody that doesn't believe what they believe. It's not a worthy worldview, and it needs to be discussed. Not just disgusted. There's, there's nothing worse than a Christian that just goes on a rant and makes someone feel like an idiot and pushes them down in the name of a loving God who loves you and gives you grace and dies for you. That's not what I'm talking about. But to really explain, we are very tolerant people in the sense, legally, socially, God does not force himself on anybody. But God will also not allow you to be deceived forever. He loves you too much to not come and say, this matters. And what you do with this message matters. Jesus didn't die a horrible death on a cross, be beaten, be unrecognizable, so that we can just whimsically say, yeah, well, everything is right. Jesus came to prove. In John 14, 6, he says, I'm not a way, I'm not a truth. He, he didn't even say, I have truth or I know the truth. He said, I am truth. I encompass truth. I myself am truth. And here's the deal. Either he was an absolute deranged lunatic for proclaiming that, which maybe. Maybe he's an absolute liar and just manipulating people. Or the third thing, he's Lord. And he is that. But you can't just say he's a good teacher. 
You can't just say he's a good philosopher. You can't even just say he's a prophet because he proclaimed to be more. And if that is true, he's crazy, he's a liar, or he's Lord. And I've got to follow him with all my heart and all my soul. And I've got to love you with all my heart and all my soul. And I've got to bring this message into a world when I'm scared because I'm going to be misunderstood or misinterpreted or labeled. You know, Paul preaching faced real persecution. Jesus ultimately was killed for the words that came out of his mouth. You could lose your job today. You could have a bad reputation today for words that come out of your mouth. But if you're a Christian in here, you need to pray for boldness and love. You need to pray for God help me to explain the gospel to people, but in love, but not be afraid because, oh, I don't want to step on any toes. You're going to do it. And if you don't say anything, you're stepping on the worst toes of all. And that's our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because truth is so needed in a culture that is just sick and diseased with a virus of thoughts. We need people to stand up and not be afraid. And maybe in here you're an unbeliever and you're going, well, I don't, I don't know. Hey, let's dialogue. That's even better. We're talking about in the fall, we're going to have some open sessions of dialogue coming up on, on race and politics and diversity. We're really excited about the, the opportunity to dialogue, but we don't want it to become like the Ephesians where we're just screaming, but let's talk. Let's reason together. And let's think. I want to encourage you today as we talk about, as we wrap up this idea of tolerance, really think about it. But think about yourself. Am I scared? Am I worried? You should be worried if everyone likes you, Jesus says. Because then you're not stepping up enough. But you shouldn't make it your goal to make everyone hate you either. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to worship and end today singing about our unshakable God. And like I said, if you're in here and you want to dialogue, let's talk. I want to further dialogue. I had some great conversations with people after service, first service, because that's the goal. Let's talk. I want to hear, me and, me and uh, Jay the other day had a great conversation back and forth about Black Panther and different things and just, yeah, this is awesome. Let's talk about some of these kind of things because we're brothers. We love one another and we respect one another. Let's talk. Let's not be afraid of dialogue and let's not be afraid to speak up because in our culture, the extreme tolerance is actually intolerance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can worship you not just in spirit, but your word says in spirit and in truth. God, we, we thank you that you were dogmatic, not only in your words, but in your actions and your deeds. Not only in your death, but in your resurrection. God, and we want to trust you and love you more. 
Open our hearts to dialogue, open our minds to think, and open our mouths to be bold in love. In Jesus' name.